Welcome to Puckheads, your hockey podcast for all things hockey, NHL, and everywhere else in the hockey world, of course. And I am Matt Rosenberg, Zach Smith, joining me uh, today on the podcast. We're going to really briefly talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame, the NHL draft recap, as that took place in Vancouver last weekend, and a whole lot of trades going down, as well as a few re-signings already. Other than that, free agency beckons on July 1st, 11 p.m. Central, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific is when the floodgates open and everybody spends a whole lot of money as if they were in Vegas. Including, except for the team in Vegas, because they're already capped out mm-hmm. and their pockets are turned out. Uh, but other than that, everybody else can spend money. We'll talk about free agency, some of the teams that have cap space and don't have cap space, and preview with a few little predictions of where we think people are going. And so, Zach, I want to welcome you in, and it's been actually a very busy week of hockey so far. Yeah, it's it's really starting with the draft on Friday night last week. It's been an exciting week of some big-name players moving, some good extensions, and obviously we're going to touch on some of the future stars of the league, starting with the draft on Friday night in Vancouver. Yeah, and let's get to that draft, as you mentioned, in Vancouver and what happened last week. And really quickly, you know, we had our little mock draft episode as well. You can always go back to the Pockets podcast and look at that as well. And we go to the fact that Jack Hughes goes number one to New Jersey. No surprise. And he's actually been pretty active in the New York area since he got drafted last Friday. Yeah, it's honestly number one and number two. The, both those teams have been very active, obviously getting two great players in Hughes and Capo Cacao over to the Rangers. They've made some big trades. Looks like they're trying to turn around their fortunes uh, pretty quick. Yeah, and so Jack Hughes, he's the center, probably the number one center in the future, probably will wind up going over Nico Heischer eventually, but he doesn't have to be the number one center in the future. Capo Cacao, as you mentioned, goes number two to the Rangers, and they just held the form. Until pick number three, where one of us was right and one of us was wrong. And Zach, you got a big old grin there, because you did predict Kirby Doc number three to the Chicago Blackhawks, where I took the local kid, and I showed that I was a local fool. Uh, Kirby Doc to number three at the Blackhawks. What did you think about this pick? A lot of people didn't like this pick. Yeah, you know, when I made the pick, it it really wasn't out of, uh, you know, popularity of the player. Obviously, I, I like Kirby Doc a lot. I think he's got many of the tools that Taze currently has and was why I lent myself to make that pick. But yeah, there were some great players alongside Doc on the board. I think no matter what, as we mentioned in uh, the podcast last week, they couldn't go wrong with any of a group of four or five guys at that number three pick. I felt like I was taking a chance and it paid off. And I knew as soon as I saw that pick go in Friday night, uh, I was going to send you a text right away to glowed a little bit but right after that pick my my mock draft kind of went downhill so I didn't have much to go on after pick three it did and, and I'm gonna you know say what I've said before in that if that's your guy at number three that's who you go with and for the Blackhawks that's what they chose they chose Kirby Doc at number three he's a big right-handed center as we talked about uh, they hope that he's their number one center in the future. He can skate, he can hit. It's something that this team needs. We're going to talk a little bit more in terms of just a little bit of a Blackhawks focus in a few minutes about some of the other picks that they made. But 
look, I, again, I didn't think it was that much of a reach as other people thought. So, as you mentioned, our mock drafts both went to, uh, I don't even know. Uh, you, you know, afterwards, uh, number four, Bowen Byram goes to the Colorado Avalanche. I love the pick. Look at their blue line for the future. Already, you've got three young guys in Bowen Byram, Sangle Gerard, and Kale McCarr along with Tyson Berry and some of these other defensemen, Colorado looks like they are loaded on the blue line for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. It wasn't a dynamite pick in my eyes. Obviously, I don't think either of us mocked him to Colorado. We kind of talked about this pick being uh, just riches for them landing the number four spot with the trade they made last year. But yeah, he was a great pick. I mean, arguably, outside of the top two picks, he was the best player in this draft. And they couldn't have gone wrong with any of the top guys. Again, it was a great, all the way through the top eight prospects, whoever you had ranked, they were all pretty good uh, selections. I think Colorado might have gotten the steal of the draft. Yeah, we go on to Colorado, then we look at the L.A. Kings, and the L.A. Kings take Alex Turcotte, fifth overall. So, again, probably the guys that figured to be pretty much the top five, just maybe not the order that we expected them to be. Three through five. I liked Alex Turcotte to the Canes. Uh, they need some. They need a center in the future. Somebody who's going to eventually take the mantle from Anze Kopitar. I like the pick. He's a two-way center. Uh, I think that he is going to be a big factor in the LA Canes in the near future. Probably not this year, but the year after. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we talked about Turcotte last week. The the local guy for Matt and myself uh, playing in the Chicagoland area. A great pick for five, and I think really the biggest surprise of the draft, because those top five guys were projected to be, you know, top five, six, seven picks. None of them were really a surprise. Maybe the order they were in was a surprise. I think number six was really the first big shocker of the draft, and it certainly was something that neither you or I predicted to happen so early. No, Steve Geiserman going off the board with the German defenseman Morris Snyder. And I thought, and we talked about this actually after, uh, on, on Saturday, you and I saw each other on Saturday, and we talked about this, how crazy it was to see the reaction of not only Sider and his family, but the entire crowd. Because once they realized that it was a German defenseman before they even finished announcing the name, you just heard an audible gasp from the entire crowd. It was crazy to hear and then I, I look at his mom, you could you could literally what his mom said was, Wow, oh my god. And again, hey, Stevie Archerman, I, I trust his evaluations more than I do, uh, of my own hockey eye. So he probably knows something that we don't know. Yeah, I think when you look at any sport in any draft like this, it's always gonna be debated beforehand, during and after We'll look at one year out, two years out, three years out. You know, was this the right pick? Did they mess up the pick? If you have your guy and he's on the board, no matter what the top experts say, no matter what people are mocking in their drafts, if that's your pick, you got to take him. So good for good for Detroit to go and, and grab a great player. And we'll see. I think the, I mean, it was a gasp in the crowd. All of the German hockey fans were probably going crazy. Uh, and a surprising pick. Surprising may be the best word I have for it, so we'll see how it pans out. Yes, yes. If, if you were surprised by Chicago, you were stunned by Detroit at six. Going to number seven, you have Dylan Cousins going to the Buffalo Sabres, another big setter, another fast skater. 
you look at this Buffalo team, they, they expect to be pretty fast this year. Yeah, I think, again, when we go down from 7 to 10, they were all pretty good picks. Um, Cousins was one of my favorite players. I think Buffalo came away with a great uh, guy for the future there. You go to Edmonton at 8, we kind of debated what do they need because they're so stacked on offense. Were they going to just add to those riches? Were they going to pick a defender? I think you had Broberg mock to them. Um, I was a little crazy in giving them another shooter. So that was a great pick for Edmonton. Then you go with uh, two teams that really were were stacked and uh, a little disappointing in the last decade in Anaheim and Vancouver. Some great picks for the future there. Yeah, I like the, the Trevor Zegers pit, the Anaheim at number nine. Uh, the last of the big setters to go, I thought Trevor Zegers, he, he's going to be a fun player to watch in Anaheim. You're going to have that nice little rivalry of Turcotte and Zegers live up to expectations. Uh, you know, right down there, they're like 28 miles apart in those stadiums. It's not far. Uh, I think that, yeah, Anaheim is, is going to be... Fun to watch, and they need that offensive game breaker. They don't have that, and Zegers could potentially be that. And you mentioned number 10. I, I think people were a little bit stunned, but thought it was about the right place for number 10 for Vasily Pakholzin to be the pick at number 10. And he goes to the Vancouver Canucks to round out the, the top 10 picks. You look at it, this is the fourth straight year. A The number one pick is not a Canadian, which is a draft record. Probably going to change that year. There's a couple of wingers in Canada that look to be the early odds-on favorite for the number one pick. Uh, again, I believe this is the, also the fourth year in a row that a Finnish player has gone in the top three. Uh, just incredible streak uh, for the Finnish. And you look at their play on the international ice, and, and it's no surprise that you see these guys keep going high. They keep churning out high-end prospects. Yeah, they're really starting to put together a great program with those uh, young young players in Finland. So we'll see. Like you said, we've got some great streaks for the U.S., for Finland, uh, some not-so-positive streaks for Canada getting booted out of that number one spot. And we'll have the big surprise, can Germany keep a top-ten pick two years in a row? <laughs> I, I'm not sure if, we, <laughs> if that's going to last much longer. But, yeah, I think... Two surprise picks that happen outside of the top 10 and one that I know you really want to talk about, Matt. Yeah. And one that I specifically want to talk about. So I'll let you go first uh, with Caulfield dropping all the way to Montreal. An absolute steal, I think. What do you think led to that that drop for him? It's one word, size. That's all it is. Because there's no reason that Cole Caulfield, when we went over our rankings, I had him ranked five. And I, I thought that... You know, best goal scoring. You don't, te- you know, as I said, you can teach shooting, but you don't teach that goal scoring instinct. And Cole Caulfield has that goal scoring instinct. And he's someone that is a huge, I mean, Montreal's going to love him. And I think he's going to, when you look at this draft five years from now, you're going to wonder, much like you do with Alex DeBrincat, why, wh- how did Cole Caulfield go all the way to 15? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's again, we, we get it in hockey. Size matters. You see the Hawks looking into that, possibly taking uh, the big center and dock all the way up at number three. But I agree. I think we're going to look back in a few years and say Caulfield might have been the steal of the draft up at 15. I think Montreal ran up to the podium seeing him. 
you can, like you said, you can teach shooting. You can teach some of these uh, skills that are out there. He's got the killer instinct. He knows what to do with the puck when it's on his stick. You can't teach that. I think it's going to be an absolute game changer for Montreal. Yeah, and and I I think it it is too, and and it's something they need. They need goal scoring. So I I think Cole Caulfield in Montreal is fantastic. Uh, Spencer Knight going thirteen to Florida, the first goalie off the board. That was I don't want to say it was a surprise because his name really started rocketing it off the last few days before the draft. Uh, but you don't see goaltenders taken that high anymore, really. And so it was a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, the the pick that I loved was at 16, uh, right after Cole Caulfield, was Colorado with their second pick getting Ellis Newhook. And I thought Ellis Newhook is fantastic. Um, I, I like what Colorado did. Like the, they were one of the teams that I thought was an absolute winner in the draft. Yeah, I think obviously you look at Hughes and you look at Kakao number one and two. Those are absolute winners on day one. You can't go wrong with either of those picks. But Colorado to come with... Uh, come away with arguably one of the best players and the best uh, defenseman overall in Byram at number four. And then to come back and get New Hook, who uh, hopefully will be able to plug in, maybe not this year, uh, to a, a primary role in their offense, but the next year to put with some of their other great young offensive players. I think they're the absolute number one winner of this draft. Yeah, really quickly, and then going to the second round and beyond in the second day of the draft, I really like uh, the LA Kings getting Arthur Kellyev. In the second round, he's a goal scorer. Someone who's, you know, again, it's just inconsistent production that gets these guys. And when you have the second best people, the second best goal scorer in the draft going in the second round, I think that's a steal. I really like the Blackhawks pick in the second round of Alex Vlasic. Uh, six foot six defenseman. He can skate. I, I, I love the pick because, you know, for a team that, you know, has all these offensive defensemen, he's a defensive defenseman. He has the NHL pedigree with Mark Edward Vlasic as his cousin. So I, I like that, you know, when you get into the second round of beyond, especially the third round of beyond, it's a lot of players that you really just don't know a whole lot about unless you're one of these scouting gurus who just does it all the time and is able to see that amount of volume of games. But overall, I mean, I thought it, it was a, a very impressive draft for the U.S. national development team. I believe they had 17 players from that team drafted eight in the first round, which is just stunning when you consider that eight from the first round alone. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought it was a, a good day for the WHL and, and all that. So all in all, the draft is over and we move on. So before we get into the trades, especially the ones that happen, because I think that all this stuff kind of goes together with the offseason, let's, let's go with the Hockey Hall of Fame. The Hockey Hall of Fame announced their class on Tuesday uh, this week. And again, it's, it's some surprises, I think, but you look at the Hockey Hall of Fame and it is headlined by the Canadian woman star Haley Wickenheiser, who was elected in her first year of eligibility. She's absolutely the headliner. These, uh, everybody will be inducted on Monday, November 18th at, in, uh, in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. So you look at it and... You have Haley Wickenheiser, also Sergei Subog, Guy Carbono, Czech, uh, Czech hockey star Vaclav Navavsky. <laughs> Probably butchered that one. Um, Jim Rutherford, who's currently the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Jerry York, 
the coach of Boston College. Uh, just really quickly, some stats for uh, Wickenheiser. She played 79 international games over 21 seasons. She recorded 58 goals and 88 assists for 146 points. So uh, four Olympic gold medals, seven world championship gold medals, one Olympic silver medal, and six world championship silver. She just ushered in a golden age of Canadian hockey and women's hockey. She also won three women's uh, world hockey league titles and the Canadian women's hockey league title. So uh, just an impressive uh, for Wickenheiser. Just she is one of the just one of the elite in women's hockey. Yeah, I think she's probably a name that many people don't know. But to look at her resume uh, is is quite remarkable. The the on-the-ice play speaks for itself. The gold medals, uh, the goals, the assists. But you also have to look at what she's done off the ice, her leadership. All her teammates uh, say that she's one of the best people they know. She's definitely well-deserving of this uh, Hall of Fame induction. And I think when we look at it, it's going to be probably the headliner of this and is going down in history, in my mind. She's been an absolute star for, for women's hockey and hockey in general. Yeah. Uh, quickly, uh, Sergei Subov, he put up 888 points in his career, played for the Stars, the Penguins, and the Rangers, won Stanley Cup twice, once in 99, and of course with the Pittsburgh Penguins, the first of Crosby's Cups in 09. And... Then you look at, uh, he also won the gold medal in 1992, World Juniors in 1989. Uh, Guy Carbono, another defensive, he's a defensive forward. He was a teammate of Zumas in 1999. Three-time Stanley Cup winner, winning with the Montreal Canadiens in 1986 and 93. He also uh, won the Selkie Trophy three times as well. Uh, The Maskey, he helped the Czechoslovakia earn the silver medal in the Olympics in 1968 and they won the world championships in 1972. I think when he is, he's, has the historical significance of being the first player to defect from the other side uh, you know, from the Soviet Union and all that and the Iron Curtain and he played in the WHA recording 278 points with the Detroit Red Wings uh, and St. Louis Blues and Rangers in 421 NHL games. So he played in WHA and the NHL. Rutherford, of course, built the Carolina Hurricanes and the Pittsburgh Penguins, a three-time cup winner, winning with the Hurricanes in 06 and the Penguins' last two cups when they went back-to-back in 2016 and 2017. And Jerry York, legendary coach of Boston College. He coached Bowling Green as well, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, five national titles, and he has the most wins of any active NCAA Division One men's hockey coach. So, uh, you know, there weren't a whole lot of, you know, one locks on the first ballot, so it's up for Wickenheiser, but again, everybody well-deserved, and it will always be a fun weekend when they go to Toronto uh, in the middle of November. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I mean... <laughs> As uh, as you know, Matt, I also like the Penguins. I love Sidney Crosby. You do. Um, I loved Lemieux growing up, and and he was really the first person that I loved watching play hockey. So there's a few uh, guys that I really appreciate as being part of of uh, the Penguins. I think really for this uh, induction class, because we had some some really iconic names go last year into the Hall of Fame. I think this one might doesn't have really the star power that comes with a household name, but I think it comes down with some great um, 
some great and unique perspectives on hockey more than just, okay, who do we know on the TV? We've got great women's players. We have great players from Europe, crashing barriers all over, great coaches. Some of these, uh, what we would consider supporting stars who have contributed to um, the greatness that hockey is around the world today. So I think it's going to come down as, uh, as one of the more historic, not for the household names, but for what these players individually and what these um, these people involved in the game meant overall to the sport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, gonna get into the offseason moves now, as uh, you know, after going through that hockey hall of fame class. And first, let's let's get to the just the coaching moves. St. Louis Blues they resign they signed Craig Brewer to a three year extension contract, whatever you want to call it, to become now the permanent head coach of the St. Louis Blues. So. Uh, he will no longer be referred to as the interim coach of the St. Louis Blues. Of course, a no-brainer. Well that deserved. had to be done. Well-deserved, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the Blues were not done yet. They re-signed Carl Gunnarsson to a two-year deal, uh, $1.75 million cap hit, with $3.5 million over the contract. Now, let's get to some of the trades first, and we'll talk about retirement news later, right before free agency, and how it might actually affect free agency but boy it started out Saturday with a bang last weekend right before the second round started the New Jersey Devils said hey you know what we got a lot of cap space and trust me when I say they have a lot of cap space get ready to hear the number later when we get into the free agency they trade for PK Subban in what is a salary dump for the Nashville Predators they needed to get the money because they're probably going to try to be active in free agency so they give up P.K. Subban, and they get back from New Jersey, Steve Santini, Jeremy Davies, along with second-round picks in 2019 and 2020. So obviously they used the second-round pick this year. What do you think about this trade? Yeah, we talked about this on Saturday. As you mentioned, um, Matt, we were together over the weekend. We were at uh, the Chicago Hockey Fest down at the uh, in the shadows of the United Center. And we're sitting there at our tent, and... Uh, it comes over, the app's on the phone, and it's just kind of a, a jaw drop initially when you see a player of, of that much skill and that much of a household big name in the league to see him get moved. Honestly, I think that New Jersey got a great deal out of it. Obviously, you, you hate to give up the second-round picks. Those can be good young players. Uh, but to get someone like P.K. Subban for for what they gave up I think was an absolute steal you mentioned Nashville and some trouble financially needed to get rid of uh, some of these bigger contracts I don't think any of us saw PK Subban being the one that was going to hit the the trade block for Nashville what do you think Matt no no well you know it's been rumored that PK Subban was going to wind up being uh traded just because they could you know the defense is getting expensive. Romy Yossi is going to get basically probably what P.K. Subban had. So, and he's going to get a raise over what he had. And so there was that hinting that you know, Subban was going to be gone. But they just kind of dump him to get his salary off. What very clearly to give you enough salary cap space to go after Matthew Shane. Uh, who are you replacing Subban with? That's my problem. Is you know, you're getting rid of a top four defenseman, and I, you know, unless Dante Favaro's ready, but 
that's a big ask to put up a young defenseman to have him start playing top four minutes. So, look, I love the move for New Jersey. Look what they did. They got Jack Hughes. You have Taylor Hall. You have Nico Heischer. You have a team that's going to be deeper offensively. A lot of money to play with in the offseason. As well as, you know, now you got P.K. Subban. Can you make your blue line better? Uh, you know, New Jersey's uh, going to be a sneaky good team to say, hey, can they make the playoffs for the second time in the third year? I I, I thought it was a horrible move for Nashville. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just I thought it was, and I thought you're you're weakening yourself, you know, when you don't necessarily have to yet, and at least get somebody back. Steve said he, you know, he's a third pairing defenseman. Absolutely. I mean, as Chicago fans were, uh, it's a little uh, bit of happiness for me to see PK go. We don't have to deal with him as much. Um, he's always been one of my favorite, not just players, but also personalities in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, there are mixed feelings about about the kind of guy he is, that. but um, I think he makes the game better. <clears throat> I think he makes the game more interesting. And now we'll see if uh, if the Devils are ready to try and sneak into the playoffs. As I mentioned earlier, both the Devils and the Rangers got great picks in the draft. They made yep. good moves to to try and strengthen their blue line. Um, it's not typical that you see, you know, teams that are drafting in the, in the top of the draft make some of these moves to go straight from first overall pick to contention. But I, I think we, we've got at least two more teams that are going to be vying for that tough Eastern conference. Yeah. And so that, you know, I, I don't know, like I said, it wasn't, wasn't a great move to me for Nashville. And yeah, I, I think you're right. New Jersey is going to be a player in the Eastern Conference, depending on what they do in the free agency. So, uh, the other, there were two other big trades on Saturday. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, Toronto, dumping his contract. And let's just, again, a salary cap dump. Trade to Carolina. Then Toronto also sends a lottery protected first round pick in 2020, which would also, you know, if they make the playoffs, Carolina gets it. If not, I believe it goes to a 2021 unprotected first-round pick. Uh, yeah, I again, I was just kind of... I wasn't surprised because Toronto needed to get make room to sign Mitch Marner and Kasperi Kaepernick and you know, Andres Johansson. And you have to. But to give up a first-round pick as well? Like, that's just a steal. For Carolina. Yeah, I think it goes back to um, a lot of people who were shaking their, their head when Toronto made that uh, move in the first place to get Marlowe at that number. So it's, and Matt, you and I were talking about this. It's interesting. You see in, in other professional sports, primarily in basketball, these salary dumps and you give away a first round pick. Yep. And um, you hope that doesn't come back to bite you. We saw a similar, a similar move be made this year, and it ended up with uh, Colorado, a playoff team, ending up with one of the best players in the draft with Byram taking that first-round pick from Ottawa. So we'll see. I think it's an absolute no-brainer for Carolina. They're an exciting team. They've got the money to take it on, and um, we'll see what that first-round pick turns into. It, you know, two, two teams that are... Uh, Playoff contenders making somewhat questionable moves. Yep. We'll see if it comes back to hurt them in the upcoming year. Yeah, and we should say that 
he didn't last long in Carolina. Marlowe made it clear he did not want to be in Carolina. And he said it was because he wants to be on the West Coast. You know, if they were on the East Coast, he might have thought about it. So, you know, you look at that, and so now Carolina, they took out his salary. They buy him out. It's only half of what he would have cost. And it keeps him well under the uh, salary cap, as, as we will detail. They have plenty of room to go. So, you, you look at it, again, I like the trade for Carolina because you get a, a, a first-round pick out of it, which, to me, is just stunning that you get a first-round pick. So, uh, you know, good for good for the you know Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, they fleeced Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. and you gave up absolutely nothing except, like, a six-round pick. The last big trade was Tampa Bay having to create salary cap space for Braden Point. JT Miller traded to the Vancouver for, in a salary dump, again, for a 2020 lottery-protected first-round pick, or if it does not convey to Tampa Bay, because Vancouver somehow, you know, uh, if Vancouver doesn't make the playoffs, then it becomes unprotected, in 2021, along with a third 2019 third round pick and goalie Mark Masnak, <laughs> Tampa Bay made out like bandits in having to get rid of JT Miller's salary to try to create some space and some breathing room so they can try to improve their try to keep their guy in Braden Point. Yeah, I think this was of, of the three big trades, probably the smallest name is JT Miller. Um, oh. I think this was the best trade made. I mean, to get. Um, to get two quality picks for JT Miller, who by all means is a good player. Um, he's not as important as the players that Tampa Bay needs yep. to contend and needed to keep. So they're able to sacrifice uh, sacrifice him and what would be considered a salary dump, and they end up winning the deal. Um, I don't know what Vancouver's thinking. They're not ready to contend. I don't know why they give up some important picks for a player who uh, by all means is not going to make them a playoff contender. So really some head scratching moves from two teams that were in the playoffs and then Tampa Bay pulls off an absolute uh, amazing deal for them and for the future. Yes. Yeah. And uh, agreed. You know, Tampa Bay getting those assets. It's, it's great. All right. Some other minor, well, the one other minor, the minor trade during the draft was the, Chicago Blackhawks and the New Jersey Devils basically swapping fourth liners or AHLers and John Hayden going to New Jersey. John Quinville, the cousin of Joel Quinville, coming back to the Chicago Blackhawks. Some little delicious irony there. Uh, Quinville was subsequently signed to a two-year, two-way deal. It's about seven fifty uh, k. Again, not a big you know cap hit for the Blackhawks. All right, now we go into Monday and going into after the draft, and the Chicago Blackhawks continue remodeling the blue line for uh, to get more athletic, to get more defensive, and they trade Anton Forsberg and Gustav Forsling, two minor pieces, to Carolina for Calvin DeHaan and Aleski Sorella. And Aleski Sorella is actually the brother of the Sorella that the Blackhawks drafted in the fourth round. So, this year's draft, and Sorrell had a fantastic year in the AHL. I love this move for the Blackhawks. It's only a $4.5 million cap hit. Kelvin DeHaan, uh, as 
some guy has mentioned, he's a Nicholas Jalmerson type guy, which will get you big praise. If you can play like Nicholas Jalmerson did, Kevin DeHaan's going to be a, have big fans here in Chicago. Absolutely. And I know we were talking about uh, Chicago having money for the first time in, in quite a while. And what are they going to do with it? Are they going to try and make a big splash? I think this is a sign of what's to come for the Blackhawks offseason. They might not go out and try and grab some big free name, uh, big name free agents. They might just want to make some of these two, three, four moves, get some quality players in, shore up some of their weaknesses, and um, instead of going for one big splash, get four quality pieces and see if they can run it back with uh, the excitement that they had towards the end of the season. So I love this deal. Um, you know, it's it's always hard as a fan because you watch these players and you know them by name and, and automatically they turn into maybe a little better than they actually are objectively just because you have that hometown feel. So I liked Forsberg and Forsling. Uh, I think it's a great move for Chicago at the end of the day. I You know, I, I do too. I, look, I, I think Calvin DeHaan and Olimata make this defense better if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. And it's Auntie Sorella is the brother of Oleski Sorella. And you look at it for the Chicago Blackhawks, they, they had to get more defensive. But here, here's my question to you, and I brought this up to Pat earlier this morning. We're recording this on Saturday uh, on, on Sports Weekly. And where does this leave Henry Yoki Haru? Because Bowman's kind of come out and said, you know, this blue line, how you see it now, is going to be the blue line that you see at the start of the year. Okay, so you have Eric Cutson, you have Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Calvin DeHaan, Olimata, and Connor Murphy. You're not having Henry Yokiharu as the seventh defenseman, so is he now buried in the AHL again? Because aren't you supposed to be trying to develop these guys at the NHL level one at a time, and that would keep you with the theme? So is there just another move that Bowman's not saying, because I think he'd like to get one more trade in if he can. I don't know for what. But it just I don't know where Henry Yokiharu fits on this Blackhawks roster, and I think he's very deserving Oh, and is one of the top six defensemen that the Blackhawks have, and I don't see any way that they could possibly get rid of Brent Seabrook's contract, so I don't know where this leads the Hawks' defense in terms of Yoki Haru being on this team at the start of the year. Yeah, I think that's the big question, and for the last six months, the question that's revolved around the Blackhawks is what to do with Brent Seabrook. He's got the contract obligations that need to be met. He's becoming uh, most likely an untouchable and untradeable player, and I think conventional wisdom says, yeah, find any way to get rid of him. We'll move the young guys up, and we'll move on from there. But, you know, Matt, just kind of like I mentioned, I think maybe they're going to take one of these younger defensemen. They're going to include him to um, to move up, grab a high-quality offensive player that's maybe on the last year of a deal for a team that's not going to keep them. They'll use some more of their cap space. It just looks like there's at least one more uh, really big move for the Hawks that are coming, I think one of the one of the players that you and I both like, um, one of the young defensemen, seems to be on the move. Unless they can find a way to work some magic and, and get rid of Seabrook's contract, which we've talked about, doesn't seem very likely. Right. I th I think that there's at least one more move to come. So we'll see. It's um, it's interesting. What he's one of your favorite players. I know, um, someone that we want to see up in the NHL on a daily basis. So. 
I don't know. It's a little nerve-wracking to see what Chicago's going to do. Yeah, I just don't see what the point is. And by the way, I want just some stats on Alessi Sorella. He had 30 goals and 24 assists in 69 games for the Charlotte Checkers, which is the uh, Carolina Hurricanes affiliate. They beat the Chicago Wolves for the Calder Cup. And it's just, it's pretty, to, to get somebody that talented, he had seven goals and eight assists in the playoffs as they won the Calder Cup. For a very good Charlotte Checkers team, by the way. Um, you look at this, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So I, I don't think Chicago's done yet. I don't see. I agree with you. I don't see any big free agent addition. I I just don't. I I think Bowman realizes he has to preserve money. This is the longest time that he's not been in cap purgatory. <laughs> that he has to conserve money for Alex to bring cat some monster extension and Dylan Strome and possibly Eric Gustafson. So that's a lot of money that you're gonna have to spend next year. And why commit yourself to stuff? So I, I think he's looking at one-year contracts, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. Uh, a, a few other trades. Dallas trades Tyler Pitlick to Philadelphia Flyers for Ryan Hartman. The funniest part about this is Hartman, and I know you're a big Twitter guy. I'm not. I don't know if you saw this, but Ryan Hartman tweeted like about a week ago on Saturday that uh, I'm out of here, peace, like a picture of him on a lake. Uh, I'll catch you in 10 days. Well, apparently, he's either just shut off his phone or is just ignoring this or knows, but his mom has been trying to get a hold of him through social media because he won't answer his phone. <laughs> and and the phone, to tell him, uh, you might want to know, A, you've been treated, and Dallas didn't send you an RFA, so you are now an unrestricted free agent. Pretty humorous. Yeah, that's a story that, uh, no, I didn't catch that one. Um, I like Ryan Hartman. I think he's a good uh, quality player. He's not going to be your uh, your top guy by any means. But it's like we said, it's becoming more of a personal league. Uh, you get the personalities out there. And to see a story like this, um, hopefully, hopefully his mom's gotten hold of him. Ryan, if you're listening, your mom's trying to get a hold of you. Please call her back. And thank uh, you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> a couple other teams that wound up having to make uh, making some trades. We'll, we'll go with we'll say in bulk. Colorado trading Carl Soderberg to Arizona for Kevin Kanal. Very surprising because Kanal's a an unrestricted free agent. Soderberg has a little bit of money to his contract. It gives Colorado even more money. They have the most amount of cap space in the league available. Come July 1st, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Miko Randall ain't going to take up all that, that's for sure. Uh, they also traded Scott Kumuschuk, second and third round draft hits in 2020 to Washington for Andre Burkowski, who's an RFA. So it's a little bit kind of a, hey, you know, see if we can buy low and see if Burkowski is able to do it. Again, low risk moves, you know, see what happens. Uh, Vegas, as well, traded Eric Halla to Carolina for Nicholas Roy and a conditional 2020 fifth-round draft pick. This actually took two trade calls because it just depends on, like, if Vegas gets a pick back from someone else or something. It's just very confusing. If you want to read about it, just look it up. I, I can't even begin to explain it. Also, Vegas traded last night Colin Miller to the Sabres in another salary dump 
for a pair of draft picks. The Vegas Golden Knights get a 2021, a second round pick in 2021, and a fifth round pick in 2022 from the Buffalo Sabres. Again, a salary cap dump because Vegas, miraculously, in two years, has managed to wind up $7 million over the cap because of the moves that they are making and the extensions that they signed. They weren't, you obviously can't be over the cap at any point during the year, but in the offseason, you can be $10 million over the cap. They were $7 million because of the extensions that they were going to sign. Uh, they are now down to within a million, just just a touch under a million under the cap. So, uh, again, salary cap dumps. I, I like the move for Carolina to get Eric Halla. Uh, somebody who's played with Table Teravainen and Sebastian Ajo, uh, of course, for Finland in international competition. And I like the move for Buffalo, getting Colin Miller. Make your defense better. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, of these of these smaller trades uh, that don't have the big names in them, I think Hall is a great a great grab for Carolina. Um, they really bought low on him. I think it's gonna he'll see uh, a, a benefit in playing with some familiar guys. Over there, and then, yeah, it's interesting. Vegas has really, they came in, obviously, as the new team, wanted to make a big splash, had great success, a great, I still think they're a feel-good story um, to be this young of a franchise. But now they're learning the, the ins and outs and how tough it is to remain competitive, and we'll see. They've, they've lost a couple good players, um, some players that gave them some good toughness. Hopefully they are able to find some diamonds in the rough with these draft picks that they got back. Um, we'll see if Vegas is able to remain competitive. Oh, they still need to get under the cap. <laughs> okay, so let's go to free agent. I think it's a great transition. And I still think that Vegas is a favorite for the for the Stanley Cup and because look at their top sits. <laughs> their top sits, they are loaded. So let's get in, and I'm going to – let's start with – the most cap space and the least cap space. So we're going to get into some of these free agents and, and talk about them for a little bit. All right. So would you like the most or least cap space first? Let's start with the most. Okay. So we're going to go in order of the top 10. We'll start with the, the first one. Okay. So the team, I, I mentioned the Colorado Avalanche, 38.9 million in cap space. The Ottawa Senators have 33 million in cap space. Columbus, 28.6 million in gap space. New Jersey, 25.7 million. Florida, 23.9 ca- uh, million in cap space. And that's because of Roberto Luongo retiring. So they got a little bit of cap savings. Carolina, 21.9 million in cap space. The New York Islanders are seventh with 21.5 million. The top seven teams are currently under the cap floor. <laughs> so they have got to spend just to get under the cap floor, which some of them are no doubt going to go crazy. The Islanders, Florida, you can see, see New Jersey and Colorado, I think, you know, spending a lot of money. Minnesota has $19.2 million. The New York Rangers, $17.5 million. And rounding out the top five is the Vancouver Canucks with $15.5 million. Now, for teams that have the least amount of cap space, let's go with the number one team that has the least. A negative .9 million, the Vegas Golden Knights. They are over the cap floor, the only team in the NHL to be over the cap floor. Now, Zach, I guarantee you would never guess who the second place team is in terms of the least amount of cap, 
salary cap space. Hmm. My guess is it's a team that's not overly competitive right now, so I'm going to go with, man, I don't know, maybe Philly? No. Philly's in the middle. Ah, great. Would you like me to tell it, or I'll give you two more guesses? You know, I'll take I'll take right? I'll take one more guess. Okay. Let's go with LA. No. You're I'm closer though. Not a good guesser. You can just tell me now. Arizona Coyotes. Wow. Two point eight million. Which is they've been basically buying contracts for like the last decade just to get to the cap floor. The Pittsburgh Penguins third at three point one million in cap space. The Toronto Maple Leafs six point nine, and that is because of resigning Kasperi Kapanen, as well as Andreas Johansson, the two contracts. They locked up those two RFAs. Give you the details in a second there. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers are fifth at $8.3 million. The Montreal Canadiens are sixth at $8.7 million. The Washington Capitals are seventh at $9.2 million. The Dallas Stars, $10.2 million under the cap. The Tampa Bay Lightning, 9th at $10.6 million because of that JT Miller salary dump. And the Anaheim Ducks round out the 10 of the least amount of cap space with 10.9. So a few of those teams, some healthy money to spend to fill out the engines. But you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they just signed Kasperi Kaepernick to a three-year $9.6 million deal yesterday. And Andreas Johnson, a four-year $13.6 million deal. Deal. So, again, roughly the same amount of cap hits for the two. Uh, Kapanen and Johnson, both 20-goal scorers last week, or last year, excuse me. Uh, it does not leave a lot of money for Mitch Marner. They're going to have to find some way to get some more money for Mitch Marner. I don't know how they're going to do it. But, you look at these teams, and you look at the money, and then let's look at some of the free agents that are out there. Um, I think Colorado's going to go crazy. I mean, look, this is a team that made it to Game 7 of the second round, and you still you have close to $40 million in cap space to play with. They are major players for somebody, you know, several guys in free agency. You know, and they've got to keep some because they got Miko Randon. He's going to take up probably about $8, 9000000 million of that as an RFA. But let's talk about some of these free agents. Artemi Panarin, I think, no question, he's the number one free agent in the class. He went down to Florida during the speaking period, and I know he went to New York to speak to the Islanders and, and the Rangers. Florida, you got to think those are the top three. But when you think about Artemi Panarin, it, it's not these guys don't come on the market that often. Yeah, I think really he's going to be courted by everyone. And it's it's interesting to see of the of the top ten teams with the most cap space, Four in the top, what was it, six were in the playoffs. Um, some surprising teams that made some surprising runs, especially Carolina, Columbus, Colorado. We'll see what they're able to do. I think, man, we keep talking about Colorado, and it, it seems like they've just picked all the right people. They've made all the right deals to end up one game away from the conference finals to end up with the number four pick and to end up with the most cap space is just a remarkable trifecta to hit. So I think they're going to spend. I think Panarin should take a visit out there. He'd be playing with some great centermen in Colorado. Uh, I think that would be a great 
pursuit for them, but we mentioned it. Panarin, you've got the Joel Quenville connection in Florida. It seems like it's written in the stars. Um, we're definitely contributing to the rumor mill of it. What do you think? Is that where he ends up? I think he ends up in Florida. I know Colorado has been trying to talk to him. I don't think they get an in-person visit, but I know that they spoke. From what I heard, they spoke to him. And, I mean, why not? You build up a second line as well with Panarin there in Colorado because they have Landeskog, they have Randon and, and McKinnon. But then you need some kind of center to go with Panarin as well. And I just think, look at, you got Barkov, you got Huberto. They're very team-friendly contracts as well. And Florida with Panarin, to me, Panarin's just that missing piece, that offensive guy that's going to make everybody better. I think he winds up in Florida because of being with Joel Quinville. You get to be in the sun of South you know, Florida. Uh, I think he winds up there. Now, the question is, does his best friend, Sergei Bobrovsky, join him in Florida? There's an opening. Roberto Luongo retired. We're going to touch on that to finish out the show for the last few minutes. But Sergei Bobrovsky going to Florida, maybe, possibly. He already... I, guess he was on social media showing pictures of going to New York at the airport after being in Florida. You know, there's rumors that Panarin and Bobrovsky would like to play together. Here's my question, though. Florida drafts Spencer Knight, assuming to be the goaltender in the future. Why would you hold him back more than two or three years just to give Bobrovsky a seven-year deal? Like, do you give maybe Bobrovsky a three-year deal and just give him a boatload of money? Um... I don't know. So, I, I, I don't know. You know, I I think Bobrovsky, I just don't know where he ends up. Florida needs a goaltender. I mean, they got $3 million in cap savings. They're only paying a million out of Roberto Luongo's last three years of his contract. So, gosh, if I'm Florida, like, I don't know. I mean, Bobrovsky and Panera take up basically my whole cap space, and I still need to add defense to this team. But yeah. I could see the Islanders, too, with Lou Lamorello wanting to make a splash. Yeah, I think he's going to be... Panarin makes sense for every team to yes. go after. But Borowski's a bit different. He's he's not old by uh, goalie standards, but he's a, a bit older of a player. Where do you put him? I agree. Florida could spend all their cap space, take Panarin and Bobrovsky, and then be strapped not know what to do with Spencer Knight. I think it's a great splash that they would like to make. I just don't see him going with Bobrovsky as well. But are they going to do it to try and keep Panarin in? Is Panarin going to make that a requirement to go to Florida? Right. It's interesting. You never know how these negotiations go. Obviously, the money has to make sense. The playing style has to make sense. But these players really have the control. If he says, hey, you're bringing Bobrovsky with as well, and they you know, buckle at that. So we'll see. I kind of think Bobrovsky is going to go to a surprise team. I think he might go to, uh, I don't know. I could see I could see one of these younger teams that thinks they might be able to make a run go for it. Um, think there's any chance that he re-signs, that he stays where he's at right now? I feel like the door's pretty much closed. I, I think it is. I, I just think he doesn't want to be in Columbus. I, I think you know, the putting his house up for sale or the condo or whatever it was, yeah, I just don't see it. You, you know, I, I think he's going to go to the Islanders. I just yeah. think that ultimately this package deal thing just doesn't work out because of the amount of money that they're both going to command. And I think the Islanders are going to be willing to get more term than 
the Florida Panthers. And look, they're playing Barry Trotz's defensive system, and you're not going to be under siege all the time. I think Paparoski would be perfect in the Islanders. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's either Islanders or Florida. I mean, I guess, you know, when you look at it in terms of Spencer Knight, he really shouldn't factor in the Sergei Bobrovsky because Bobrovsky should be, you know, Spencer Knight then becomes an asset that you can improve your team, mm-hmm. either trade him or just realize, look, he's going to play in college for a year or two, then he'll play in the AHL. You know, goaltenders do take longer to develop, so. Yeah, and I think every time you draft a player, Unless it's one of these top guys that you know 100% is going to be a star, you know, year one or two. When you look at Spencer Knight and you go, hey, best case scenario player comp, you might have Bobrovsky as that guy that you hope he turns into. So do you take a chance on him developing into Bobrovsky? Do you just sign the guy that you want him to turn into? Like you said, keep the asset in Spencer Knight. It'll be interesting. I just I don't think the Spencer Knight factor weighs as much as the fact that they would literally spend all of their cap space on two guys who would undoubtedly make them better, but would still leave them scrambling to you know to fill up a few more spots. Now you have me convinced money. now that Bobrovsky's going to Florida. <laughs> so you, you know you have me convinced, and, and I think what so those two guys probably take up about twenty million. Of your cap space, Roughly, right there. Yeah. So you know, you know, you can fill around the edges, and you know, you need to make a trade. I'm, I'm sure Stan Bowman would love to talk to you. Uh, you, you know, in terms of trying to make a trade. So, you know, him and Talon usually hook up a lot on trades. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I, it's going to be either the Islanders or Florida. I, you know, part of me says that oh, the Islanders are going to get somebody big, and that would make sense. But then you know, you have the whole thing with. The two of them wanted to play together. I just don't know how strong that pool is. Yeah, so. well, we'll see. I think the Islanders are in a great spot. Um, they could use some. They could use a goalie. They could use some more yeah. defensemen. Their offense is already uh, quite stacked. So we'll see. They're going to have, um, like you, you said, I think they're going to make some big moves. They'll have a lot of fun with their plenty of cap space. Yes, they will. And so it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Uh some other top UFAs, and let's get the third one. I think is Matthew Shane. Matthew Shane, where is he going to go? Nashville trades PK Subban to open up that cap space. Uh, we know he liked it in Columbus, but I'm just not getting this. At least to me, the feeling that I get, you know, from reading every reading stuff, is that Matthew Shane is not going to go back to Columbus. And there's just so much. He's hung out in Nashville before. I know he's hung out in the off season in Nashville. Nashville, to me, you get rid of P.K. Subban because you're looking to improve your offense. I, I mean, I guess he had Matthew Shane, but gosh, I don't, I, if it's me, I'm not paying $9.5 million a year for Matthew Shane. I'm sorry, he's not a difference maker. Yeah, I personally, I like Matthew Shane. He hasn't quite turned into what I think we were hoping he would be, um, being such a high draft pick. Yep. So we'll see. I mean, he's going to get paid. It's a great... It's a great time for some of these top offensive players because there, as I mentioned, there are four teams in the top six, seven that were in the playoffs that have the most cap space. They're going to be looking for that player or two players to get them over the hump. They're going to be looking to spend. So if you're a guy like Duchesne, if you're a guy like Joe Pavelski, you say, hey, I'm the offensive player, the veteran leader, the missing piece to you getting to where you want to be. They have the leverage with some of these teams with a lot of money. I think it's going to be um, 
contracts that perhaps we wouldn't give them. Uh, they might be making a, a few million more than they probably should have on a yearly basis, but it's time to use their leverage. Yeah, I, I agree. And the way I said, I, I think he's going to Nashville. I, I just I think there's too much smoke to that fire. He wants to be in Nashville. Uh, to me, he goes and look. He does make them faster. I just think that he's not. What you're gonna pay him? I think you're ultimately. It's gonna be a contract that you look at like four years down the line and go, oh, gosh, mm-hmm. I can't believe I have three more years of Matthew Shane at nine and a half million dollars. Uh, let's go to Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski to me is an interesting case because. You've heard all this smoke and fire about all over. You heard him turning down meetings with teams because he didn't think they were that close to a championship. So he's met with Dallas. He's met with Tampa Bay. I I, I don't even know how Tampa Bay would possibly be able to sign Joe Pavelski and keep bringing point. I just don't see it. So you have that. Uh, supposedly a mystery team's involved. Look, for you Blackhawks fans, I don't think it's the Blackhawks. I, I think that Bowman is being fiscally prudent. And so you have that. And you have San Jose kind of lurking out there, but San Jose has their own cap problems with $14 million in cap space. You have Pavelski out there. You have Kevin LeBlanc. You have Timo Meyer. You have Jonas Duskoy. Uh, a lot of free agents that you still have to sign. And Pavelski would take up at least half of that money along with Joe Thornton out there, who said he's coming back. You got Patrick Marlowe that wants to come back to San Jose. So, is Pavelski gone from San Jose? I want to say yes, but I'm just not ready to. I think, listen, I think of those three guys, if I'm San Jose, I'd take Pavelski over both Thornton and Marlowe. Oh, for Um, sure, all day. I I think that's a no-brainer for them. Um but does that loyalty to all three of those historic players for their franchise leave Pavelski feel like he's not looked at as important as he should be? So I think he's, again, a player that could fit really onto any team. Um, What he brings on the ice and off the ice is valuable. Um, He's going to make his money. It all comes down to, I think, if he's willing to take a pay cut to stay in San Jose, if he's willing to be loyal to the franchise. And we'll see. Sometimes players are. Sometimes they decide, hey, loyalty only goes so far until it hits my bank account. I don't know what he's going to do. I think this is one of the more uh, exciting and frustrating moves of the offseason. It is. And he's the captain. Uh, I mean, look at this, okay? Uh, between Vlasic, Burns, and Carlson, it's like 20, upwards of 25, maybe a little bit over 25 million in cap space between the three of them alone. And how many other guys are you going to take care of before you take care of your captain? And I just think that Joe Pavelski feels very disrespected. I can understand why. I, but again, if he's looking for $7 million, it's a guy who's 35. I mean, look, he, he's going to get it somewhere, but it's I don't think it's San Jose because if they sign him, then they got to get rid of somebody young like Timo Meyer or Kevin LeBlanc. I mean, if you really want to put San Jose in a hard situation, some team just needs to offer sheet both of them right now, at, you know, on July 1st. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Look, I think Pavelski is gone. I, I don't understand how in the heck he would even fit in in Tampa Bay. I think it would be absolutely what Tampa Bay needs mm-hmm. because they need veteran leadership. I think he's going to Dallas. 
I do. Because I just, I was like, wow, okay, Dallas. And I'm like, well, you know what? I could see that. And that would make Dallas very dangerous next year. Someone with Joe Pavelski kind of back it up. I, I, I think he's going to Dallas because I think they'll give him the term and money that he wants. So what do you think that does to the rest of Dallas's plans? Because as you mentioned, they're in that bottom 10 of cap space. Yeah, I mean, it's... yeah, I think they got about like 14 million, something like that. They don't really have a whole lot that they have to do. You know, this is a team that was just missing one or two pieces. I, I think that it really, it just means that Matt Zuccarello probably isn't coming back. If they sign Pavelski, it means that Matt Zuccarello, it's a domino effect. Yeah, and I think and I think that's a deal they're willing to make um, to lose Zuccarello. Yes, I don't know. I think whatever, whenever there's smoke, I think there's fire. If there's a surprise team, you know, is that for leverage with uh, these teams that we know by name being the Stars and the Lightning? Is that to try and create leverage with San Jose? Right. I don't know. I think he's a great player. Whoever gets him is gonna get, um, you know, probably. They're going to lose out on the financial aspect after, you know, the second or third year. But what he brings off the ice as well. I honestly would love to see him in Colorado. I think they have so many good young players. I wonder if that's the mystery team. He would, that's a I, good point. He would be a good, solid foundation to show him. Obviously, you know, it's Pavelski's a winner. Maybe not a Stanley Cup winner, but he's uh, he's a great professional. He's a great winner. Yeah. He's had a long career to show some of those young guys and provide a good presence on maybe their second line as he gets a little older, their third line. It, I I love the move, and they've got the cap space for it. You know, that's a good point. I didn't even think about Colorado. And uh, I, I like that, Colorado. So uh, I, I'm going to go, you know, I like your prediction of Colorado. I like mine in Dallas, but I like, I think I like yours more uh, now that I'm thinking about it. All right, a few more forwards. Get the defenseman cover the RFAs really, really quickly because – our face is usually nothing, but it's more noteworthy this year. Uh, we mentioned Matt Zuccarello. You know, again, a very good forward, but probably going to command a lot of money. I, I, you know, I think that he'd be good back over in the East Coast, maybe the Islanders, something like that, because the Islanders haven't done anything to their captain, Anders Lee, who's another one who's just interesting because they signed Brock Nelson. You know, they re-signed Nelson. They re-signed Jordan Eber- Eberle. They haven't done anything with Robin Leonard or Anders Lee. And Lee, I mean, again, is somebody who's going to command a big amount of money. So, you know, I think the Blackhawks would be interested at a price, but I don't think it's going to be at the six, seven, eight million dollars $7, $8 million. So I, I think the Blackhawks are out of it. I, I guess I could see Anders Lee. Maybe Anders Lee is the one that Columbus signs to, to make up for the fact that they're going to lose probably Matthew Shane, Ryan Dezingle, most likely Ryan Dezingle. I think he's the most likely of the four to return. But Panarin, Bobrovsky, and Duchesne, and the single, they have a chance of losing all four. I bet you Columbus, I, I think Columbus throws some money at Anders Lee. Yeah, I mean, Anders, Anders Lee is a great player. Um, he's going to take, like you said, I don't think it's going to take six or seven million to get him. I think he's going to be around nine, nine and a half um, yeah. with some of these teams with money. Look, he's a good fit in Columbus. Um, again, he's a player that's pretty much a good fit on any team. He gives you what you need on the offensive end. We'll see. He, in my eyes, I like Anders Lee a lot. I think he's going to get overpaid a bit, especially if it's a team like Columbus that's yep. desperate to keep. You know, if they lose their top, essentially their top four guys, um, at least by name and possibly by skill level, they they're going to be desperate trying to spend money as they try and stay afloat as a contender in the East. So, 
we'll see. I think Anders Lee is gonna is probably gonna get more money than he deserves. Matthew Shane. I think that's really gonna be the story of this. People are gonna get paid, and good for them. They should get paid. Right. And look, that's what free agency. It's it's a market system, right? You get paid what what you're valued to be. So look, and that's good for them. Absolutely. I, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times with free agency, you overpay. And, and that's going to be interesting because I think on Monday we're going to see some contracts and go, whoa. Um, Ryan Dezingle, the other from the Columbus, I, again, I really haven't heard a whole lot of smoke about him. I, I, I think he could be maybe another one in that Colorado-Dallas group of, you know, Pavelski, Zuccarello, and Dezingle, that two of the three go there. I, and so that's what I think. You know, Dezingle is someone who's offensive and all that. And I think he's going to command some money, some more money than you thought. Um, and that's probably all the forward. I guess the noteworthy forwards that I was really coming up with that are mm-hmm. UFAs right now, because I don't really include Thornton or Marlowe in that mix, um, you know, because they're probably going to be taken care of maybe a little bit later than July first. A um, couple defensemen. So Eric Carlson being off the board opens things up for Jake Gardner and Tyler Myler, Tyler Myers to be the top two defensemen in this group. You know, Gardner can skate. He's very fast. He's going to be offensive. And, again, trying to think of teams that could use a defenseman. Like, I don't know, could maybe Ottawa? Because they have so much money, they have to spend, like, $12 million just to get to the cap floor. Like, could Ottawa maybe throw some money at Jake Gardner's way? Yeah, I mean, I think the day that the Carlson news broke and they looked at the contract he got... These might have been the two happiest guys in the world to see. One, they now jump up to the top two UFAs at their position. And three, defensemen are getting paid. It's now um, because these guys are good on both ends. They give you enough offensively. They're solid defensively. Uh, They don't really lean one way or the other and kind of handicap you in one spot or the other. I think they're going to both get paid I don't know. They're, it's it's always interesting because whereas you can have, in the new NHL, offense is the way to go. So you can justify going three lines deep of really stellar offensive players. It's harder with the defense because obviously you've got your top six. They're important. I love the uh, the defensemen, but they just don't command as much of a market as uh, these top wingers and centers do. So I don't know. I think Tyler Myers is going to go to one of these contending teams. I think if, if uh, Nashville doesn't get Matt Duchesne, they could look for one of these guys on a smaller contract than they had Subban just to try and put a little stopgap in their blue line. I think they're going to get paid. I just think it might take a little longer than some of these top offensive guys. I should correct myself because I'm looking at my list here. Totally glanced right over my list that I said earlier about the least cap space that Dallas has $10.2 million, not fourteen. I don't know why. I was literally looking when you were you were talking about uh, Joe, you know, Pavelski and, and all that and that Dallas doesn't have that much. And I'm like, I looked at it and for some reason, considering my hand right, so yes, you are right, of course. At the list that I literally set out earlier <laughs> in the show, that Dallas does have 10.2. Yeah, I, you know, Tyler Myers, I think it's just, he's going to get go to a team that he thinks he can be like a piece to lead them into the playoffs. I, I've heard, Van, I, I heard, I read some stuff that Vancouver and Tyler Myers. I'm like, oh. like, 
somebody is going to overpay massively for Jake Gardner and Tyler Myers. And it makes you wonder, or I guess see, why some teams have really heavily focused on the trade market, like Chicago. Uh, for example, which it's defenseman, rather than overpaying another $2 million for a Jake Gardner, I could get a Kelvin DeHaan or Olimata, which you look at it from Chicago's standpoint, Olimata and Jake Gardner, Olimata and Kelvin DeHaan are probably going to make about the amount of money that Jake Gardner is going to make. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd rather have those two than Jake Gardner. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I just don't know. And then... You get to so the defense market we mentioned is not that deep this year. Let's go to goalie. Okay, we talked about Borowski. Now, Robin Leonard, nothing out of the Islanders so far. You know they're trying to go for Borowski. Um, you have Peter Morazic and Curtis McElhaney in Carolina. Nothing out of them so far, you know, in terms of anything about them possibly going back to Carolina. You have Mike Smith in Calgary. <laughs> Uh, you know, so we're going to have a goalie, a goalie roulette here. Uh, you have Semyon Varlarov in Colorado, who's not going to be back because Philip Grubauer took the net. So what happens with all the goalies? <laughs> and think about the teams that need a goalie. So you have Florida that needs a goalie, obviously. They don't have a goalie. I mean, they have James Reimer, but they don't want him to start. You have Columbus that is going to need a goalie. You know, now they have a young goaltender that, you know, they believe in, but, um, you know, you've got other teams. The, the Islanders need a goalie. The Carolina needs a goalie. Uh, ironically, teams that have to spend to the cap floor need goaltending. Minnesota, you can argue, needs a goalie. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, if you don't believe in Devin Dubnik or, uh, you know, Vancouver. Edmonton can use a goalie, too. Yeah, it's really going to be – It's it's really going to be – the toughest position I think to predict and to negotiate for because Bobrovsky's going to make the money he deserves. But after that, the rest of the names become quite underwhelming and there's some good players in there. Don't get me wrong. Um, they'll get paid possibly a little more than they deserve based on the, the desperate position that some of these teams are in. But I don't know. I think Bobrovsky goes first because I think everyone's going to hold their breath yep. hoping that he chooses them. It's going to be like he's on The Bachelor and he's he's pulling whatever team he wants. He's got all the cards. Um, man, it's going to be tough. Who has the final word? Yeah. <laughs> it's, he could really turn it into some, uh, some drama there, start really using his position. But I don't know. It's a tough, it's a tough year if you need a goalie. And so I think the one I feel really confident about, I think Carolina is going to bring back Mrazek. I think he showed them sure. enough, um, and he's a good enough guy that I could see them getting him back on a reasonable deal. But other than that, I mean, for, for Mala, maybe not. Mike Smith, maybe not. Um, you know, they're decent yeah. players, but they're journeymen at this point. Um, they've never really stuck anywhere. I, I don't I, know. Yeah, I think Leonard and – Bobrovsky wind up in some combination of Florida and the Islanders. Like, you know, if Bobrovsky goes to Florida, I think Leonard stays with the Islanders. Unless Columbus just throws a little boatload of money. Um, and then, yeah, I, look, I think Morazic needs to stay in Carolina. But then where does Mike Smith go? Like, does he maybe go to Edmonton? And, uh, you, you know, Mike, I love watching Mike Smith in goal. I, I, I know he's not the best, but 
man, this can make some athletic saves and stuff like that. It's going to be interesting. The goalie market is like the one that you just have no feel for. All right, let's go to the RFAs really quickly. we got a few minutes left. And the reason why, you know, the RFA market is strange because you have just this incredible amount of guys who have made it to July 1st as RFAs. You have Mitch Marner. Well, we say now as of June 29th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch Marner, Matthew Kuchuk, Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor, Sebastian Ajo, Timo Meyer, Kevin LeBlanc, Miko Randon. The problem is, is that, again, they're not unrestricted. So like, if you sign them to like a 10, mil- 10 and a half million plus, you have to give them four first round picks. Now, most teams are just going to match offer sheets, but like Carolina's wants to operate on a budget. So my question is, because I'm not going to, we're not going to individually go over the thing, because I think we are under the agreement that like we at Special IDA and Connor and this thing. Here's my question, because the NHL, is, the, the GMs are typically conservative. Does an RFA get an offer sheet this year? And we haven't had one in like five years. I think this is the year for it. I think there's enough of these high-profile guys that are uh, belonging to teams that are in some tough cap situations. Uh-huh. I yeah, I think someone does. Okay, who? I want man. I love Timo Meyer. Yeah. I don't want him. I want to say him, but I don't want it to happen. I. Timo Meyer would be my pick. I just okay. think, uh, yeah, they've got a they've got a lot of players to try and keep. He's good. He's not the household name that some of these other um, yeah. guys are in San Jose. So, all right, I don't know. that would Here, be my prediction. Here's my pick: Sebastian Ajo. I guess you see Carolina has the cap space, but Todd Dundon doesn't want to make this a cap strap team. I think if some team was gutsy enough to offer him like a $10 million average salary, I think he would give Carolina a real pause. So, you, I do agree with you though, because I do think one of the same... I think Timo Meyer or Kevin LeBlanc, one of them is going to get offered an offer sheet. And I think, you know, Ajo... And Mitch, Mitch Barger's interesting because Toronto's only at, you know, $6.9 million. There's no way that Barger's signing for $6.9 million when Austin Matthews is at 11 and a half or whatever. There's just no way. So I could see, like, I could see Lou Lamarillo just really wanting to stick it to the Toronto Maple Leafs for taking Tavares last year. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and, it would, I think Toronto will have gotten the better end of that deal, but I could see... Three points another RFA that I forgot to mention. Yeah, I think there's just so many good RFAs this year. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I think the one guy, and he's one of my favorite players in the league, that absolutely doesn't make it there, Patrick Laine. I think you sign him for right. 20 years. Don't get rid of him. Um, <laughs> is it a bridge deal or is it a longer deal? And I think that that's the issue is why you haven't seen a whole lot of people sign. Yeah. Is it a two-year, three-year bridge deal? Or is it five years or is it eight years? You know, cause Guys don't want to give away those UFA years. Mm-hmm. They'd like to cash it again. I understand that. Um, I, I, You know... I'm still not convinced that we're going to see an offer sheet. I think we might see more as a trade of an RFA that the team and, you know, I think it's more likely that we see one of these RFAs traded than an offer sheet. 
I would agree with you there. I think the trades, as we talked about, are becoming more popular than and then throwing $10 million at a guy. And in this case, giving up some draft picks for it. So I don't know. I think one of these guys from San Jose is going to end up somewhere else. Either he's going to get an offer sheet, he's going to get moved. Just seems like they've backed themselves into a corner. They got to do it. All right. So let me ask you yes or no. We'll just ask you Will Mitch Marner be with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yes. Will Matthew Kachuk be with the Calgary Flames? Yes, I think so. Will Patrick Lyday and or Kyle Will Patrick Lyday? You already said he'll be with the Winnipeg Jets. Will, I think so. Will Kyle Connor be with the Winnipeg Jets? I think he will. I think he's. I don't think he's going to get the contract um, that some of these other top guys would get. I agree. So I think he remains. Sebastian Ajo with the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, you made a good point with Carolina. I just think it's interesting because if they let him go, yeah, do they go after an RFA in their own? I mean, they they got the pick from from uh, Toronto in the Marlowe trade. Yeah, you know, do they look at that as an extra asset and they're able to go after an RFA if they want to give up their own? I don't know. I think they keep Aho. I think he's a good young player. He seems to be. Um, you know, one of the main staples of that revival that they yeah. had last year in Carolina. I think they keep them. Okay. Uh, let's go over my list. Uh, Timo Meyer with the San Jose Sharks. Yes or no? I. They're they're real tough caps. I know it's one of them. I feel like if I'm San Jose, I want Meyer. I think he's gonna get more offers than LeBlanc. Yeah. Um. But I say no. I think I think Meyer's gone. Okay. If that's that's my pick. Again, unlikely that we see one of these guys go somewhere else, um, right. at least on an offer sheet. But he's the one that I'm that I'm counting on. I, I you know, I agree. I, I think probably the most likeliest of any RFA, even more than Sebastian Ajo, Kevin LeBlanc. Yes or no with the San Jose Sharks? I say yes. Okay. I don't think he gets the. The offers that he wants, similar to right. Kyle Connor, I don't think he has as much money coming his way. I, I agree. I agree. I, I think Timo Meyer is just much more valuable to the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Miko Randon, yes or no with the Colorado Avalanche? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Braden Point, yes or no with the Tampa Bay Lightning? It's the last one. It's another tough one because of the situation Tampa's in. I think I say yes for him. I think they're gonna keep him. I think with the 10 point sets, it's enough. It's just figuring it out. Again, I, you know, I would not be surprised if we're talking, you and I talking tomorrow, that, you know, Tampa Bay or some of these RFAs are signed right before July 1st. I would not, you know, just because deadlines spur action. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would not be surprised if, you know, tomorrow night or Monday morning you see some of these RFAs signed. Uh, you know, I think what you're going to see several teams like Pittsburgh and Chicago and those teams. Really trying to fill in around the edges with lower tier free agents, depth forwards, you know, for the third and fourth lines. I think that you will see a big wave also at 11 a.m., you know, 11 a.m. here central, noon eastern, of these teams just kind of signing these deals. And I think you're going to see, like, they might be the lower free agents that sign first. Snap up their piece of the pie 
and don't worry about it. And then, you know, the bigger free agents side kind of slowly trickle out. So, uh, all right. So, you know, we got RFAs, you know, lower free agents, all that. Let's talk about, to end this episode of Puckheads, the retirement of one Roberto Luongo. And it has cap ramifications. Florida got $3 million, I think, back in cap space. They, they went up to 23.9. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to pay a million dollars of, they'll be charged a million dollars of his cap hit over the next three seasons, you know, because he didn't want to go on injured reserve. Vancouver will pay like $3 million in their cap hit, be charged their cap hit for the next three years. Roberto, Roberto Luongo, to me, is somebody who is just underappreciated. And, you know, we saw a lot of Roberto Luongo being here, being in the Chicago area, seeing the great series between the Blackhawks and the Canucks to be one of the, one of the, really the last great rivalries we've had in the NHL. You look at it, and Roberto Luongo, Stanley Cup finalist in 2011, wins the gold medal with Canada in 2010. He finishes with uh, 489 wins, and I want to say like 77 shutouts. Uh, you know, just a great number. And Roberto, because of the Vancouver Canucks and just not getting it done with the Stanley Cup final, I feel like he's underappreciated. But a career well played. I agree. I mean, and we've touched on it the last couple of weeks. I touched on it earlier. The man, the Canucks were obviously the rivalry with Chicago made us more familiar, but the Canucks really were one of the best teams at the yep. beginning of the decade. Um, I agree. He's always going to have that elusive Stanley Cup hanging over him. It's not fair because a lot of those, um, a lot of those long playoff runs that Vancouver made were because he kept him in it. I mean, yep. when he was when he was on top of his game, he was the best in the league, um, best in the world. And yeah. we saw that. So I, I've i always, even though he played for a team that was in a rivalry with the team I like, I always loved Luongo. I thought, again, a great a great personality in the game. Um, I don't know if you if you remember this, Matt, when um, he was still in Vancouver and they had Eddie Lack as their yes. backup goalie, like, Gosh, the, like the bromance they had yes. um, and all the social media stuff they would do. He was just a likable guy, a great player, I think, um, just a great career overall. He became a lot more likable after 2011, after the Stanley Cup final. Because if you remember, and, and you know, because I vividly remember some of those post-game conferences, press conferences with him in Chicago, it, you know, he wasn't really the, as likable then. But he, he found this humor about himself. I, I always felt bad because I he's one of the guys that just deserved to win a Stanley Cup. And after 2011, he just became very more likable. The social media stuff, the, the fakes, or, you know, his Twitter account, making fun of himself and, and other guys. I, I thought it was great. And he announced his retirement in great fashion, you know. Uh, you know, I'm taking my retirements to a South Beach retirement home. Or, you know, taking my talents to it. South Beach retirement home, but you look at Roberto Luago, he just became a lot more likable after 2011 because it was the stress of the final against Boston that really took its toll on him to me, more so than any of those Chicago series or anything like that. 
And, and you mentioned like, he was great in those Chicago series. You know, I mean, he had his moments. You know, but every goalie has their moments mm-hmm. in the playoffs. So, uh, Roberto Luongo, I I enjoyed uh, listening to him. I enjoyed watching him. I think you know we're all gonna miss him, but you know he's gonna be around in the Florida area and just a, a great all-time goalie who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame uh, first ballot three years from now. Yeah, and I think, too, we'll see. Depending on what he wants, um, you know, I could see him doing coverage of the games. I could see him doing more social media, yeah. working with the NHL Network. I think, you know, it was bittersweet as a, as a fan of the game, not necessarily as a team, um, as a fan that didn't like Vancouver. It was As a fan, it was bittersweet to see him go to Florida because, yeah, it never seemed like Florida was going to put it together, and it seemed uh, to me a bit disappointing that he would go and spend his career, you know, not yeah. not somewhere where he could compete uh, for a cup to get that elusive cup win. So, again, I agree. Great guy, a great career. He helped them win a cup. Though. Yeah, he did, and, and you or not a cup. Excuse me. He helped them win a division mm-hmm. in Florida. So you know, it, that's where his wife is from, and where his family is. You know, so uh, you know, credit to him. I, I was really looking forward to him and Joel Quinville being on the same team. I thought you, you know how ironic is that? You know, after you know the Blackhawks torturing the Canucks and then Luongo torturing them in 2011, because mm-hmm. I mean he absolutely stole that game seven in in 2011. Where I thought the Hots, I, I thought once the Hots tied that game up, they were going to win that in overtime. And I, I'll never forget the save that he made on Patrick Sharp. Sharp shooting right into his chest, but it was a tie game, and, and that would have won the game for the Black Hots. And, and he, he made some great saves, uh, always made great saves. And again, the only athlete to ever say that his contract sucks. <laughs> um, so Just a great personality, a yes. great guy. And like I said, my hope. I want to meet him one day. Yeah, taking the South Beach, just taking the full retirement South Beach lifestyle and then get on a call some games, get on TV, because uh, whenever we have these former players come on and we get, obviously their insight of the game is so brilliant, um, all the things that he sees from his positioning that he can let us as fans in on during a a typical game call, but to add the great personality on top of it. um, Yeah, a great career. Hats off to Luongo. He'll definitely be missed in the league. Absolutely. All right. That's all we have for Puckheads this week. We will be on with a free agency review. Uh, you know, a couple of days after free agency, we'll, we'll drop a pod with a free agency review. So don't forget to look us up, Puckheads. You can email us at puckheadspodcast at gmail.com. So for Zach Smith, I am Matt Rosenberg, and we'll, we'll catch you next time on Puckheads.